Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and today we're pleased to have our first in-studio guest from outside the company here with us in the form of Dr. Mahesh Joshi, who we'll be speaking with about the importance of process in driving innovation. Dr. Joshi is director of the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program at George Mason University and an associate professor of global entrepreneurship and strategy at the School of Management at GMU. He's especially interested in links between new technologies and the phenomenon of corporate entrepreneurship and innovations. Dr. Joshi's research interests include process innovativeness, the adoption of new technology, and strategic change. His published research includes papers on topics like business continuity planning, corporate governance, global strategy, deregulation and strategy, implementation of strategy by middle managers, and strategy in the public sector. Welcome to the Innovation Engine and to the studio, Dr. Joshi. Thank you, Will. I'm pleased to be here. All right. So let's kick things off today talking about something that might have most people running for the hills, but that's really vitally important to building an innovative, successful company, process. So I was listening to an interview this week, Dr. Joshi, with Charles Duhigg, who's the author of Habit, which recently spent 62 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And he told an anecdote about the fashion industry that I thought was intriguing. And it was this. The companies that succeeded over time weren't the ones with the most creative minds or the most brilliant designers. The companies in the fashion world that survived and thrived were the ones who got the business processes down. Why is process so important for companies in today's age? Process is very important for a couple of reasons. But most important of that is process allows for implementation of plans. Mm -hmm. So I I like uh, the interview you cited because what it brings to my mind is this idea, what is necessary but not sufficient. So creativity and innovativeness is necessary for firms to be successful but not sufficient. And that's the mistake a lot of managers make is they only focus on what is the necessity part, not the sufficiency part. Mm -hmm. When you focus on process, you're bringing the sufficiency part. And when I say process, there are many layers of process in an organization. So what you want to focus on is process of resource allocation, process of uh, human resource selection, Mm -hmm. and process of understanding your external environment. So process has to deal with every aspect of the organization. In fact, in my executive training and in my uh, classrooms, I always say that creating strategy is uh, glamorous, sexy, and everybody wants to do it. It's the management of the process is the implementation of strategy, which is dull and boring. And as you said, people run away from it. But if everybody in the organization runs away from it, that organization is going nowhere. Right. Okay, so so what are some of the vital signs that a company might look at to see whether their processes are helping or hindering them? Again, the way I couch it is that process is a major component of what I call business model Mm -hmm. of the organization. In fact, what I do is I break down a business model into four major components. And I know recently business model canvas has become very popular and it has a lot of different components. So I'm not going in that direction. What I'm suggesting is that there are four critical components of any business model. 
the first component is have we thought about why do we exist or in other words i say value creation do we understand what what is it that we create value for in short colloquially you can say that if i don't solve a society's problem then i will not survive in the long term so that's value creation processes are one aspect okay uh, the need to va- create value second component is actual processes do i understand what are my assets what are my capabilities what are my uh, organizational abilities that allow me to convert something from raw material to finished product something from an idea to a delivered service mm-hmm. so both for manufacturing and service organizations processes really is the internal transformation from raw material to finished product and that's the second part the value creating processes mm-hmm. then there are two additional parts uh, which may not matter for the value process part so i won't go into that but to me success of a business model entirely depends upon understanding what processes do we do that create value for us now eventually the value we create has to be passed on to our customers if we cannot transfer that then nobody needs us so that's where uh, processes become uh, focused on whether they are value creating or value destroying so i'm turning around your words about hindering versus promoting and i focus in in as value creating processes versus value destroying processes so is there a five step process or a certain step process or there are a certain number of or, or there are certain phases that you recommend companies follow if they're looking to kind of start building a process around innovation and corporate innovation or corporate entrepreneurship as the case may be Yeah, uh, it's it's a loaded uh, question because uh, again I may have some steps mm-hmm. which may not be applicable to every context, every situation, sure. But the way I would uh first part of it is that identify for whom are you solving the problem. It's very critical uh, a lot of times firms create a product or launch a new product or go into new business because they have the capacity mm-hmm. the old maxim that if you build it they will come the reality is if you couch it from the perspective of is there an existing problem that is not being addressed or is there an existing problem that can be addressed in a better way if that's the first filtration as part of the process then the potential for success is much higher uh in fact uh, in our academic literature we call that customer orientation so you need to start with customer orientation and going back to my business model uh, four uh, components if i cannot figure out why i am doing something or why am i launching a product then i don't have the justification on what exactly i'm doing mm-hmm. so step number 1 understand who's your customer 
and what exactly is the problem. Either you're solving it or you're improving the solution. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say you're solving it, everybody thinks about brand new product or brand new service. And that's why over the years I have learned to say there are very few chances you're going to create a product which is brand new. Sure. So improving the solution actually is the hallmark of being corporate entrepreneurial. Because corporations exist, managers act as entrepreneurs within that corporation, and they are improving the solution most of the time. Okay, so customer orientation is the first step. What would be the next steps? The second step is uh, twofold. One is internal audit of your strengths and weaknesses and the resources and capabilities you have at hand. Mm -hmm. And external audit, uh, you may not be the only first one to do this. You understood the customer's problem, but there might be either existing competitors who want to solve the similar problem, or there might be brand new somebody else out of the left field who comes in and says, I want to solve this problem. So the second step is matching your strengths, your weaknesses with what is happening in external environment. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as I'm saying this, some of uh, the listeners will picturize, oh, he's talking about the obvious SWOT analysis. The idea is similar to SWOT analysis, but it's, it's much deeper because we have to match our strengths uh, with existing opportunities. We have to match how to defend on our weaknesses if somebody else is better at that. So that process of second part of uh, external and internal audit becomes very powerful. Once you have done that, then the third and the critical part is based on that resource allocation. So if we are going to chart a path to launch a new product, create a new service, or just in general create an organization to be more entrepreneurial, mm -hmm the third part of resource allocation becomes extremely important. Let's take an example. Uh, I won't say the name of the firm, but I know a firm where a new CEO came in and he announced, well, our business model is broken. Our strategies are out of whack. We need major changes. We want to be like 3M. Mm -hmm. So people said, what does 3M do that we don't do? And his answer was, 3M tries to get 25% of its revenues from products developed over the past five years. So when people heard that, they got all excited because now this was a fundamentally an R&D-focused company. So scientists were worried when the CEO said, I'm going to change everything, right? right. But when he says that, 25% uh, of our revenue must come from newly developed products, the scientists started cheering because now they realize that they will become more important and their voices will be heard. However, within about 10 days, quietly, HR released a press release where it said all the R&D is being outsourced. Now that is where the process gets broken. So uh, on one hand, he wants to create new products, but he wants to buy R&D off the shelf. And that's never going to happen. So it seems obvious in retrospect in uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, but uh, firms get caught up in that because f everybody's focus is operational and people need to take one step back and understand how they are doing it. And that's where going back to earlier question, 
practicing reflectiveness becomes very important. So, so why do you think it's important for innovation to be homegrown? Why can't it be outsourced? Well, it can be outsourced if it's not critical to your success. Okay. So you don't have to build everything homegrown. Mm -hmm. But innovation should lead you to differentiate yourself from other firms. That differentiation has to be proprietary. And that's why, so part of it is in that internal and external audit, you determine what parts you will focus that it becomes your proprietary knowledge, that becomes your proprietary ownership, and other parts could be outsourced. So the key part is what is important to us based on what does the customer want. So those three-step process always comes through. If I understand my customer, then I understand my strengths and weaknesses in accordance with the external environment, then I decide how to allocate my resources. When those three process steps are followed nicely, the final outcome is a thriving entrepreneurial firm with innovative ideas that customers love. And, and what more could anybody want? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so, so let's shift gears for a minute. Uh, thank you very much for making the trip over from nearby George Mason. Uh, you recently opened an innovation lab that I believe opened its doors in January. Uh, what kinds of projects or potential businesses are you seeing being dreamt up right now over at Mason? Mason is a wonderful story, and I'm glad I'm getting this opportunity to promote the idea of Mason because in the vertical of universities, we are probably a baby university. We are just 45 years old, and School of Management is hardly 33 or 34 years old. Uh, compare that with many other Virginia universities, those are more than 200 years old. Sure. So it's a, uh, many people don't know about Mason. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, even those who know about us know from the basketball for Final Four yeah, run-up. Right. Uh, well, you, you beat my Tar Heels, I believe, in the, uh, in the run to the Final Four that and year. That was a sweet moment, well. <laughs> for you, for, for you, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so George Mason, being a new university, has mindset of being entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So, 12 years back, when I joined the university and school of management, uh, the dean gave me an invitation to build the innovation and entrepreneurship program. Of course, he also told me it will be bootstrapped. So I've been bootstrapping for the last 12 years <laughs> uh, because the spirit of innovation is present in all quarters of George Mason. So first thing I learned very quickly that if I marry innovation to only school of management, my uh, endeavor would be a failure. So from the get-go, uh, we always say that innovation and entrepreneurship is not an ownership of one single school. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that to you because even though School of Management has launched this Mason Innovation Lab, we are inviting participation from all students across all 11 schools and multiple institutes. Uh, so uh, though we uh, launched the idea of a, a Mason Innovation Lab in January and inaugurated uh, 
the ribbon cutting process took place in March, our inaugural cohort of uh, participants will start in June. Uh, and it's a wide range of uh, uh, applicants. Some of them are uh, science-based, some of them are uh, product-based, some of them are service-based, some of them are uh, just uh, servicing possessions versus information. So there is a big uh, uh, range of applicants right now. Okay. Um, uh, what else we do at uh, George Mason as innovation? Uh, our new president who has arrived two years back actually has created a new motto for George Mason and it's called IDEA, I-D-E-A. Okay. And that IDEA stands for, I stands for innovation, D stands for diversity, E stands for entrepreneurship, and A stands for accessible. So I am so thrilled because it fits in with my approach of having open innovation and entrepreneurship for all students at Mason, and these activities like Mason Innovation Lab or other activities I do is, one of them is business plan competition, they make it accessible. So uh, IDEA's practical translation will be oh, the whole innovation and entrepreneurship program. So I'm very thrilled and happy about it. Okay, great. Well, that's congratulations. Uh, what you said about innovation not being the sole domain of you know, just just your school also makes a lot of sense, but it cuts across all all schools at George Mason. Back on the third episode of our podcast, I believe we had uh, Jonathan Vihor from the Center for Creative Leadership on, and he talked about uh, the innovation ghetto, which is basically what happens if you put one division in charge of creating innovation in an organization and you don't have them working with anybody else. It basically just grinds to a halt. Exactly. Exactly. A uh, couple of people I've spoken to, they call it uh, Valley of Death. Yeah. Right? Well, th- I like the fancy names for it, for sure. It right. sounds, sounds very foreboding. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. innovation ghetto or the Valley of Death, neither one is where you want to end up. Exactly. Uh, and it goes back again to having uh, firms creating processes where uh, what does my customer want is not easy for one single person or one single division to predict Mm -hmm. because customers uh, or my perceived end users may have problems that I have never thought of yet I may have knowledge that I can solve the problem right so somebody has to acquire it somebody has to assimilate it somebody has to process it and somebody has to commercialize it and all of that requires multiple uh, approaches, multiple backgrounds, and uh, many institutes and divisions to work together. Sure, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So one of your research interests is the spread of new technology. Uh, Are there any technologies or technology categories out there that you see that are kind of flying beneath the radar and that you think will make a big impact in the next five or ten years? Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, these are these are the kind of questions that uh, five years later will either make me a visionary or an absolute uh, abject failure. So, <laughs> but at the risk of doing either one of them, right? I will say I am absolutely convinced that 3D printing is going to change our lives in one more than one way. And I remember. In 1992, teaching to my students, 
I said, Internet will change our lives. And my students looked at me and said, what is Internet in 1992? Uh, and it immediately changed my life because I started an Internet consulting company, lost a lot of money, but eventually made up because I was ahead of time. And I feel the same way with 3D printing. Uh, 3D printing, in a nutshell, I would say, uh, allows for something that has never been done. Most of the times in all business models today, you have a trade-off. Either you create mass production or you create customized production. Mm -hmm. Customized production meets very specific needs of a customer, but at a very high cost. Mass production or mass uh, mass, uh, mass produced products Take the basic features that everybody needs, but nobody gets the specialized for uh, features. And pretty much every business model that exists today can be broken down into those two. Uh, call it fancy name as uh, high touch versus low touch, uh, luxury versus common goods, whatever you call it. Sure. It fits into those two. Mm-hmm. 3D printing will actually allow for mass customization. And mass customization word has been used for last 10 years. Uh, But the scale and the scope of mass customization that will be available through 3D printing, it's just mind-boggling. And I'm, I'm just getting deeper into understanding how 3D printing works. And uh, I have a 16-year-old son and I told him, I want him to major in chemistry so that he can create new materials that can be fed into 3D printers and outcomes whatever people want. So he is looking at me saying, Dad, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully he'll wise up between now and the time comes for him to go off to school. I hope so. But (laughs) his expression was exactly like uh, my students in Temple University in 1992 when I told them, Internet will change your life and they said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know if I sufficiently answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. So so I have to ask, do you have a 3D printer? No, but our innovation lab has two small 3D printers for uh, instant prototyping. So, okay. so right there, this idea of instant prototyping has bedeviled people for so many years. People have some ideas and nobody will give them money till they show the working prototype. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mason Innovation Lab has uh, managed to secure two little 3D printers for making reasonable sized prototypes. So if you have an idea for a physical product, you can create a prototype. Uh, Not very expensive as it was in the past. And then two things happen. Either you look at the prototype and you say, ah, I'm going to give up this idea. It's not working. Or you say, oh, these are the changes I need to make so that I can solve my customer's problem, right? In the past, if you look at the history, people have spent years between idea and first working prototype. Mm-hmm. And by that, by that time, sometimes the concept has totally devolved or concept has passed them by. And 3D printer, just as one single benefit will be that from idea to prototype, the time uh, will be reduced tremendously. 
Okay, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. One of our uh, one of our guests from a previous episode, John Fawcett, who owns a company called Fuse Chicken, also a design shop called Fawcett Design, uh, was talking about the the future of three D printing, and and his take was pretty much the same as yours was that. It's not ready to stand manu- manufacturing on its head just yet, but within the next five to ten years, it, it completely will. Yeah, uh, and there are a couple of ways to look at it. And I, I like uh, the question you ask is, what is the trend that is under the radar, right? Mm-hmm. And that's important for proactive firms. That's important for entrepreneurial firms to identify trends way in advance so that they can focus on new business opportunities. But even if it's uh, 3D printing is not ready for uh, manufacturing uh, uh, right now, just take the simple example of prototyping. Mm -hmm. 3D printing allows for rapid prototyping. That has never been possible before. Uh, uh, If you dig into lots of new product launch failure ideas, Mm -hmm. you will find that the time taken between idea to creating a uh, working prototype sometimes has been so long that sponsors have lost interest, customers have moved on to solve the problem in a different way. Mm-hmm. Now with 3D printing, that will re- be reduced completely. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, in our innovation lab, even though for uh, teams have not started working, we have been calling for some uh, uh, speakers to come out and talk, and one of them showed how easy it is to make simple prototypes if you have some ideas uh, of uh, prototyping. So that is the value of 3D printing uh, in terms of just one example. Take another example. For instance, uh, uh, recently I read that NASA invited a competition to create pizza out of uh, uh, these 3D printers while they go for their Mars expedition. And such are the ideas that are going to change our lives completely. Well, I know it's going on my Christmas list for 2014. Wonderful. Uh, (laughs) A 3D printer that will make you a pizza. Uh, But the funny thing is not everybody picks up on that, right? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, as I told you before, uh, in 1992, when I told my students, Internet will change your life, they looked at me saying, what is Internet? And if I can find those students today they will not believe how their life has been changed. Same way I told my 16-year-old son that 3D printer will change your life and I want you to be a chemist so you can create new kind of chemicals that can be fed into 3D printer for creating many different things. And he looked at me the same way. Uh, What are you talking about? (laughs) Sure. Okay, nice. Well, 3D printing is definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I would love a 3D printer that would make me pizza. That would make me the happiest man in the world. So if you're looking to make your way back to the graduate school realm in the nation's capital, Dr. Joshi is the director of the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program at George Mason. So check out that program. Uh, Any other, any parting words or famous last words, Dr. Joshi, that you want to get in before we have to call it a night? Let me plug my school. So recently in U.S. News and Report, uh, we've been ranked among top uh, 60 MBA programs. Very nice. Uh, And that's a great thrill to us because uh, every year or two, whenever the rankings come out, we've been jumping uh, up. And uh, 
I think our innovation and entrepreneurship program might have something to do with that. It's one of the most sought-after concentration in our MBA. Very nice. And and you also have a consulting organization on the side, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, George Mason is kind enough to allow me to spend one day out of five days on my own consulting uh, so that as a faculty of a professional school, I actually know how business is done, (laughs) which my students benefit. So it's a two-way street. All right. Very nice. Well, uh, I'm sure that 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 knowledge is very applicable in the uh, line of work that you're in as a business school professor. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us here, Dr. Joshi. Really appreciate it. If, uh, If you're looking for help, with with innovation processes be sure to look up dr mahesh joshi at george mason university he's not hard to find online i promise uh, thanks again for coming in absolutely well uh, thank you for inviting me pleasure was mine this is a wonderful opportunity and i look forward to interacting with uh, you and your organization and your audience uh, in future thanks a- very much absolutely thank you All right. Well, thanks again to Dr. Mahesh Joshi of George Mason University for joining us in the studio. And thanks to you for joining us this week. Uh, Apologies for the noise in the background. If you caught the sirens or the voices, a very busy week here at the Three Pillar Office and out in Fairfax, Virginia in general, apparently. Be sure to tune into next week's episode when we'll have Russ Schoen on the podcast. He's the Chief Collaboration Officer at Foresight. We'll be talking about the importance of openness and innovation how to be open to new ideas that come your way, what tips and tools you can use to ensure that you and your organization remain open, and what open innovation really means. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.